0: of God intends for us to live an extraordinarily blessed life. I've been teaching Galatians 5:22 through 23. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, or the original Greek says faith, and then gentleness and self-control. Paul says against such there is no law. And it's just they employ double negatives in the Hebrew language to underscore the significance or importance of a concept. And like God says, we would say in English, I will never forsake you. What the original says is I will never forsake you, no, never. (laughs) It's like God's underscoring it. I love the way they did that. And so there's no law, in other words, you are walking in in purity before God when these characteristics are in your heart. And this is so important because I know people oftentimes deal with things like guilt and shame, and it's amazing the number of believers in the church that are held back from advancing because they feel shame. Now, shame and guilt are two different things. Guilt is what you've done that you're remorseful for. Shame is you're remorseful for who you are. World of difference. God created you, and the enemy wants you to be remorseful for who you are, not what you've done. And it's important we understand the difference because shame is something that works. It's one of those inner prisons. It'll keep you from living the extraordinarily blessed life. Of these nine fruit of the Spirit that are really qualities of God, characteristics of God that begin to grow in us after we get saved, I'm on the eighth one. I know it's the seventh in the list, and that's because Andrew preached on gentleness, which was number eight. But I've spent four weeks now, including today, on faith. And that is because I think that you can't grow. My observation is you can't grow in your relationship with God unless your faith is growing. And make no mistake about it. You can, you can meet people that say, I've been saved for 30 years or 40 or even longer. That doesn't mean they have 40 years of experience. They may just have one year of experience 40 times over because they're not growing. So don't let it fool you, okay? Amen. What's important is that we're growing. And I want to talk to you today about growing your faith. In 2 Thessalonians 1, 3 through 4, Paul says, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting Because, say it with me, your faith grows exceedingly. Say it using the personal pronoun, my faith grows exceedingly. And notice what happens when your faith grows. The love of every one of you all abounds toward each other. We live in a world that is more and more committed to the scientific concept that it's not real if it cannot be empirically validated And you need to understand that while I am very glad for all of the wonderful things that science has done for us, and they've done so many things, life without an iPad, how did I ever manage it? But on the other hand, not everything they do is as good as they want us to believe. Like Apple came out with the iPhone 7. Don't waste your money. All they did was just clip the card to the ear uh, piece and, and you got to buy some new ones for $159 that you're going to lose the first week. Come on, I'm serious. I've learned when it comes to the iPhone, buy every other year, not every year, which is just about what your your mobile carrier plan allows for anyway. Amen. Because if you buy the in-between years, all you're doing is buying a few upgrades that are not even really upgrades at all. I'm serious. Like Siri can do a few more things now than it did before. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm making it pretty good without Siri telling me everything I need. I can steal Google without Siri's help. Now, lest you think i 'm adverse to technology I, I love my iphone my love my ipad i 've got over two thousand books on my iPad I, and many, many translations of the bible but i 'm just making the point while I really appreciate the advances and technology and science, I'm not going to fall into the, fa- the, the, the the fallacy of believing that everything they come up with is exactly right. It isn't. They're telling me that I don't need faith now. That's what they're telling me. And this verse right there says that when your faith grows exceedingly, the love of every one of you abounds toward each other. The more we advance And science and technology, the more divided our world has become. Because we're not relying on God anymore. Hello. We're not loving each other. There is a dimension that you can't slice and dice and dissect and put under a microscope. There's a dimension of life, and the Bible identifies this as the spirit dimension. And it's within your spirit dimension that the qualitative changes need to be made that will cause your life to experience being extraordinarily blessed. What? Listen, let me say it like this. I have degrees in psychology, okay? But I want to tell you, psychology is not just the science of the mind. Amen. And, 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 and that alone fits, fixes everything. It, psych, mind, ology, science of. Psychology is not going to be able to tell me everything I need to know. It's not complete in terms of identifying what motivates me. I've got drives in me that are sinful. It got real quiet all of a sudden. And that didn't come because I used to be some caveman back yonder either. I wasn't a caveman. I was created in the image of God. My ancestor Adam failed and I have within me the contagion called sin. I'm genetically predispositioned. My flesh wants to do what is wrong. And I either walk in the flesh or I walk by faith in the spirit. Amen. Walking in the flesh will lead you into conflict with others. Walking in the spirit dimension leads you to, into love. And there's a great deal of misunderstanding about what faith is. And for that reason, I've spent the first three weeks on this subject of faith talking about biblical principles and concepts of faith that are important as a foundation so you can grow your faith. Today, I want to talk to you about how to grow it. My subject is flourishing because God is growing His faith in me. In minister's conferences, I often talk about seven levels of faith. I mentioned four levels here and just four so I could get through this series a little bit more quickly. It all begins with natural faith, just to bring us to the same page. Every one of us have natural faith, and all of those out there that believe that science is the answer to everything, I've already told you I'm 100% for technological advancement in science, so I'm not denigrating that. What I'm doing is responding to their, their ridicule of people of faith. While I am very happy to see science continue to make great strides in medicine and every other field. I want to point out to you, ladies and gentlemen, they're not always reciprocal. And somebody just say amen right there. And I need to talk about this because there needs to be a foundation that we build biblical faith upon. And you all start at the same place. Every believer does. Every unsaved person does. And even scientists that ridicule faith have this first level dimension of faith. It's natural faith. You have natural faith. How many of you came in and tested the chair before you sat down? No, you didn't? You had natural faith. Yeah, you did. How many of you never worried about whether the zipper would break on your dress or the button pop on your shirt? You have natural, every one of us have natural faith. You trusted your car to get you here. And you even trusted the stranger coming down the opposite way towards you. That he wouldn't cross the line and hit you head on. We all, my point is, operate in some level of faith. But the tragedy is many believers never grow beyond that. There are actually seven levels. And you come to the point where, as Paul said, your faith grows exceedingly. How do you get from natural faith to faith that grows exceedingly? If you're wondering, the highest level of faith I've I've already mentioned is the gift of faith, which is when God puts his faith within us as he's growing his character in us. Well, I've talked about concepts of faith that are foundational. Now let's talk about how to grow it. Father, I pray that you'll speak to us right now and do create within us your faith, transform our faith from natural human faith, faith about the weather, faith about one another, faith about politicians, faith about the economy, faith about our cars. Transfer and grow our faith to the next level and help us to experience faith that grows exceedingly. I ask in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. There are many amazing examples of faith demonstrated in the Bible, but if I were to ask you this question today, who in the Bible, more than any other person, exemplifies faith, what name would you give me? Everybody's saying the same name, Abraham. In Romans 4.11, Paul even calls Abraham the father of all those who believe. He's called that because fathers pass on to their children particular genetic factors and other types of characteristics. The Bible sets forth the story of Abraham and Sarah and the birth and then the subsequent sacrifice of Isaac as the model of faith, of what real faith, in fact, looks like to God. Abraham is called the father of those who have faith because his faith has certain characteristics that should be found in a believer. As I pointed out the last time I spoke on faith, Hebrews 11 and 1, let me just remind you when the Bible tells us that faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. The word substance, which has to do with something concrete, faith is not an intangible, it is actually a tangible and the word that is translated substance is "hypostasis" in the Greek, and it literally means the title deed, like the title of your car, the title deed of your home. It's got your name on it, which signifies ownership. What the Bible is saying in the writing here of Hebrews 11 and 1 is that when you have faith, you now own that thing, and it's got your name on the title. Now, here's what you need to know. It's the evidence of things not yet seen, meaning that if you are walking by faith, you're believing for what has not yet materialized in your life. It's not there yet. Is there anybody that can say regarding your dreams they're not here just yet? Amen. A world that teaches you to go by your empirical senses only acknowledges what is presently in existence. Because Abraham believed God's promise that Isaac would be the one through whom a nation would be birthed, Abraham literally had, according to Paul, or the writer of Hebrews that you've heard me say often, I think was Paul, or Apollos, he had the title deed to his promise with his name already on it. He owned it though it had not yet materialized, in this incredible story of Abraham and Isaac, there are several things about Abraham's faith that I want to point out, and they are significant in that they show us how faith works to help us obtain the promise and cause to be made manifest what we're holding the title deed for. Now, Romans 4 and 12 says, the father, Abraham was the father of circumcision to those who are not only of the circum- not to those only of the circumcision and that means the Jewish people did you get that is the father not only to those of the circumcision but also those who walk in the steps of the faith which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised that's an extraordinarily important verse of scripture because before he was a Jew because God started the Jewish race with Abraham. Before he was of the circumcision, notice this, that he became our father, those of us who have faith, if we also walk in the steps of the faith he had. Everybody say this phrase, steps of the faith which our father Abraham had. Say it. And then notice this was before. He began the Jewish race. And that's significant because you and I are Gentiles. So if you wonder how the promises God made through Abraham can apply to us, remember God made them to him before he became a Jew. Oh, come on, help me out now. So if we walk in the same steps, we have access to the promises and our faith looks like his faith. And therefore, we also hold the title deed with our name on it, and we already owe it. Speaking of faith, and so many misunderstandings. You've heard the joke, haven't you, about the guy, Jack, that was walking along the edge of the Grand Canyon and leaned over to look and stepped on some loose gravel and it lost his footing and went sliding over the edge. And as he yelled while he was falling a branch growing out of the cliff that he was falling down, he came by, he grabbed it and hung on. And when he finally was able to realize he was still alive and looked around and then looked down, there was another 1,000 feet he could still fall. And he started screaming, help, is there anybody up there? Help! And nobody answered and he yelled for a long time till his fingers started slipping. And he became more desperate. Help, please, is there anybody up there? And a voice said, Jack, Jack, can you hear me? And he said, yes, yes, I, I can hear you. I'm down here. And the voice said, it's okay, Jack. I can see you. Are you all right? And, the, and Jack said, yes. But who are you and where are you? And the voice said, I'm the Lord, Jack. I am everywhere. Amen. And Jack said, the Lord? You mean God. And and the Lord said, yes, it's me. And Jack cried, oh, God, please help me. I promise if you'll get me down from here safely, I'll be a really good person from now on, and I'll go to church. And sounds like some folk here this morning when they get in trouble, doesn't it? And, And God said that's nice, but here's what I want you to do. And listen carefully. And Jack said, I'll do anything, Lord. Just hurry. My fingers are slipping. And God said, okay, just let go of the branch. And Jack said, what? And God said, let go of the branch. Just trust me, and I'm going to catch you. There was a long silence, and Jack was heard to shout, help. Is there anyone else up there? Amen. Faith requires some action on our part. Specifically, there are nine things that Abraham did that caused him to go from being without children to becoming the father of such a multitude of descendants that they literally began a new nation. Now that's quite, quite an extraordinary feat. To go from no children to beginning a new nation, that's a pretty amazing achievement you're, not probably looking for, you're probably not looking for anything that big to happen. But the point that that verse right there makes is if you walk in the steps that Abraham walked in that led to this in his life, whatever your promise is that you hold the hypostasis for, the title deed, God will make it happen. Because what Abraham did looked like faith to God. Amen. And that's the only one you have to please. It doesn't have to look like faith so you can please me. It needs to look like faith to God. Nine things he did, and nine is the number of birthing. These nine things birthed a nation and a multitude for Abraham. I want to tell you how to birth your dream. Nine things. Number one, Abraham had confidence in the word that God had spoken. He had a word from God. One promise from God can change everything. You don't need 15. You don't need 25. All you need is one promise from God because God's word is creative. It contains the creative powers that will make whatever he has spoken come to pass in your life. You get a word from God and you hold on to that word. You've got the title deed to that promise in your hand. Abraham notice that Abraham's faith was not based upon emotions or feelings or even in his circumstances who was president and who's not president. The holy hust descended on the house. It was not founded upon who he had connections with or didn't have connections with. While he was a stranger in a barren land, as a barren man married to a barren woman, God gave him a word and that he had faith in the word, not the land, not the circumstance, not anybody he was connected to. He got a word and that changed everything. That's because Romans 10:17 says faith comes by hearing and that by the word of God. It all starts with this book I'm holding in my hand. Amen. And that's why you need as much of the word of God as you get can get. It all begins there. You can't receive too much word. You can get too little, but you cannot get It's possible that you are not getting enough. Hearing the doctor is good, hearing your friends is good, hearing the attorney is good, listening to your family is good, listening to the professor is good, but hearing God's word can change everything in your life. Amen. But it isn't enough to just hear it, you have to believe the word that God has given you. AND IF THERE ARE WORDS THAT CAN INSPIRE FAITH, BELOVED, YOU NEED TO BE AWARE THAT THERE ARE WORDS THAT CAN TEAR FAITH DOWN AND DIMINISH IT, HINDER ITS DEVELOPMENT AND EVEN DESTROY IT ENTIRELY. For that reason, you need to be aware that every day of your life, you have the opportunity to bring the word of God and put it in your heart. David said, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin. The word sin there means to veer away from my target. It's an archery's term. I've got your word in my heart to keep me on track toward my destiny is what David is saying. All of the while you have the opportunity every day of your life to get the word in your heart. There's other word that's being put in your heart from people around you. Oh, listen to what Paul said here. 1 Corinthians 14 and 10, there are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world. The King James says, there are many voices and none of them is without significance. There are voices speaking into your life every day. The media is speaking. Politicians are speaking. Friends are speaking. Co-workers are speaking. The devil is even speaking. Your circumstances are speaking. Oh, come on, help me out here. Which one are you getting the most word from is what I want to ask you. Because you get all this other word that tears down and you need the word of God because that's what builds up and creates good things. This is one reason and I said it earlier and it looks like I'm picking on politicians. But I hate every four years in the election cycle that things could go so negative so fast. You hear so much negativity out there. And you know what's happening? People are speaking death every time they open their mouth and talk negativity. Hello. Oh, come on now. You know it's true. If somebody were to speak death over your children, would you like it? Well, don't speak death over my nation either just so you can get a job. Amen. Hear what I'm trying to say. Life begets life. Death begets death. Amen. Things reproduce after their own kind. There are many voices. And in the middle of all of these voices, so many of them so negative, you need the positive input of the Word of God in your life. Oh, hear me. Number two, Abraham knew. He knew. He didn't just think it. He knew that he, Sarah, and Isaac were chosen people of promise with a God-given destiny. Amen. He believed he was going to be used by God just as God promised. And after God specifically mentioned Sarah following his his enormous, enormous mistake with Hagar, God mentioned Sarah specifically and said, that mistake you made over there with Hagar, look... Through Sarah, this child is going to be born. Up until that moment, Abraham didn't know who was supposed to be partners with him in the producing of this child. But now that God made it clear, he knew he had a destiny, he knew Sarah had a destiny, and he knew that boy's coming and he's got a destiny. One of the things you got to believe is that God has a destiny for your life. God has a purpose for your life. Circumstances didn't tell Abraham this because, listen, there's circumstances, things that stop working if you know what I'm talking about. They weren't going so well in the marital uh, bedroom anymore between he and Sarah. And he didn't think that there was going to be any ability if he were to base his, his thoughts upon and his beliefs upon circumstances, there would have been no promise of a child being born. Sometimes you've got to look beyond the circumstance and you've got to see the promise when the circumstance is in total contradiction to everything the promise is telling you. Amen. If you listen to your circumstance, you'll lose confidence in yourself. You'll lose confidence in your future. My circumstances were not the best in the world. Broken family, given up by my mama, left home when I was just a kid, strung out on drugs and alcohol. Nobody thought I would amount to very much. But you know what? I had a destiny, and, and I've come to believe, look, whatever I'm going through, Whatever I'm going through, I just want you to know somebody's talking to you right now and the hand of God is on his life and God has a plan for me and God has a purpose for me. Amen. But not only that, God has a plan for you and God has a purpose for you. Has it always looked like that in my life? No, a thousand times no. Second Corinthians 5 and 7, I've learned we walk by faith and not by sight. If I went by all the stuff I saw in my life, I'd have given up a long time ago. To succeed, you've got to believe in your own potential and future. You can't make a determination based upon your circumstance. You need to stop doubting yourself. Hello, somebody. You need to stop doubting the person you're married or the career you're in or the business God told you to start. And I'm preaching better right now than some of you are responding. That's okay. Be quiet. Preach, pastor. I intend to. Amen. If God spoke to you, it may not look like much, but God has a purpose and God has a plan and you matter to God and and regardless of what things may appear to be like right now, God hasn't forgot about you and you've got a word and you need to put your confidence in that word and you need to stand on what God said. (laughs) Jeremiah 29 and 10, for I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord, plans to prosper you. I need somebody to say, God's got plans to prosper me. Amen. Amen. And not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. I'm going to preach myself hot today. I, I already feel it coming on. Amen. Hey, I feel, I feel, I'm, I'm going to get happy before this service is over. I already know it. Amen. God has plans. I need somebody to lift their hands and say, you have plans for my life. You have a future for me. There's some of you that think you've gone as far as you can go. Oh, no. God has plans and God has a future. And You think you blew it. No, you haven't. God has a future. You think you've messed up and gone beyond repair. I said God has a future for you. Ah, I could spend some time right there, but I've got some other things I need to say. Third, Abraham realized you never lose anything when you're serving God and walking by faith. Even if you give it to God, even if the devil steals it from you, you need to realize the story of Abraham teaches that in the kingdom of heaven, you don't lose anything. When you're walking by faith, You see, Abraham could offer that boy because he knew God said Isaac was going to be the father of a nation. That required an Isaac that was alive. Hear what I'm saying? God's asked me to take him and offer him as a sacrifice. But for the promise to be fulfilled, that boy's got to be alive. How can you take that boy in apparent contradiction to what God has already proposed will happen and offer him as a sacrifice? It's because he understood what you give to God. You never lose when you're walking by faith. You may let it go, but God always brings it back. Amen. 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 Abraham told the servants to wait and that he and the boy would go worship and then return. Why did he say they would both return when he was climbing that mountain knowing that he was going to offer Isaac as a sacrifice? He knew that God had a purpose that required that Isaac live. He knew that even if he gave Isaac to God, he wouldn't lose Isaac. The principle is extraordinary. What you give to God, you never lose. Amen. Peter began to say, Mark 10, see, we've left all and followed you. So Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake. And the gospels who shall not, say it with me, receive an hundredfold. say now, say now. Say now. In this time, houses and brothers, sisters, mothers, children, lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life, we believers have been sold a bill of goods. We think it's all going to be pie in the sky when you die by and by. But Jesus said, I'll give it back to you right now. Give it to me, I'll restore it. But here's where I'm going with that. That principle also works if you're walking by faith and the enemy steals from you. Now there's such a thing as losing what you have because you wouldn't listen to the word of God and you're walking in disobedience or you're walking in rebellion. If you lose it then, shame on you. Sorry, amen, my heart goes out to you but if you're walking by faith and the enemy comes up and blindsides you, don't fret it, don't sweat it because God's going to give it back to you because anything the enemy has stolen, God will always give it back if you continue to walk it out by faith. You see, what you've got to know is that there's something going on in the spiritual dimension. Hmm. Abraham, I'll get to that in a moment. Abraham made certain that his actions were consistent with faith in the word God gave him. And so even when the enemy is stolen, even when you're in the middle of reversals, even when you're in the middle of problems, walk it out by faith, keep believing, I got the title deed, amen, keep rejoicing, that is so vividly demonstrated in the fact that for 25 years, you know what they called Abram? Abraham. You know what Abraham means? Father of nations. They called him father of nations when he didn't have a single child, Come on now, help me out. Abraham, supper's ready, all oh, the neighbor They got fifteen kids. He has none, father of nations. His circumstances belied the future promise. Amen. But Abraham continued to act in faith and believe the promise. Why? Because faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, James said in James 2, is dead. So someone needs to say here, like Abraham did when he climbed the mountain, my actions are going to produce a product. Say it. My actions are going to produce a product. I want you to say this with me. I will return. My health will return. My marriage will return. My business will return. My finances will return. My children will return. You don't lose anything in God. If you give it to God, it's still coming back. If the enemy steals it, it's still coming back. Why is that important? Because some of you, the enemy has stolen things from you, stolen careers, stolen marriages. And instead of you living, looking at a dead corpse, you need to say, we are coming back down that mountain together. My finances are coming back. My marriage is coming back. My health is coming back. Somebody in the building say amen. amen. Now, does that mean you'll necessarily end up with the same woman or man? I'm not sure you want to. Did you read just this week in the news about that old man, he's 70-some-odd years old, that robbed a bank? He had his fi- a fight with his wife. He told her, I'm so sick and tired of this. I'd rather live in jail than live with you. He went and robbed a bank. I'm serious, I'm not making it up. They gave him $3,000. He went and sat down in the floor. The bank security guard didn't know what was going on. Came up and said, sir, what's the problem? He said, I'm the guy you're looking for. I just robbed this bank here. They arrested him. When they asked him, what are you doing? He said, I decided I'd rather live in prison than be with this woman any longer, Amen. You might not want her back or him back. What I'm saying is if you lose in the kingdom, if the devil steals from you, God said, I'll restore it. But it will be better than it was before. You won't even think about what you lost because God's going to give it back. I need somebody to say, I'm getting my marriage back. I'm getting my finances back. I'm getting my health back. Now, of course, you understand that ideally God wants your mar- present marriage to work, but I'm referring to those circumstances where people are here today that were victimized because their partner in a relationship would not be obedient to God. And you're sitting there thinking you've lost everything. Oh, no, you haven't lost anything. God's causing it to come back. Amen. Amen. Abraham, by making sure that his actions were consistent with faith and the word God gave him, began to demonstrate something. Point number five. By demonstrating faith with works, Abraham entered into the redemptive promises of God. Watch this now. He didn't realize it at the moment. But when he made the decision to obey God, he was actually allowing God to model through him an example of heaven's future intentions through Christ. What God proposed to do in the future through Christ, he was now demonstrating through Abraham. Oh, my. When God asked Abraham to offer up Isaac, Isaac was not a little boy like we think. Jewish scholars say he was 33 years old. Guess who else was 33 years old when his father offered him up Amen. Not only that, guess which mountain the heavenly father offered up? The heavenly Isaac upon. Same mountain, Mount Moriah, that Abraham has been instructed to go over his son Isaac upon. Oh, hear what I'm saying. Like our Lord, Abraham, when he climbed up that mountain, was not yet married and had no children. But like our Lord, his children would come after he was as good as dead and then made live again. Abraham literally was a assured in his heart that because God had said the nation of descendants that would come must come through him that even if Isaac died because God required his sacrifice that God would raise him up again and I want to tell you the heavenly father sent his son up that same mountain as a sacrifice knowing that the promise that I have given requires that he be raised again he's going to live again Abraham because his works demonstrated faith became the Old Testament type and typology of our Heavenly Father who offered up Christ on Calvary and then raised him three days later because Mount Moriah was three days in the distance. And when Abraham made the commitment to obey God he he sat beside that boy on that old wagon as they went together to find Mount Moriah for three days. That boy was already as good as dead. Amen to him. Because he had made up his mind just like Jesus was, was dead for three days. Abraham, in the, in the mind of Abraham, Isaac was as good as dead. Then when they got there, watch what happened. Just like the heavenly... Isaac had to put on his back the wood of the cross and go up that same mountain. Abraham took the wood for the fire and placed it on the shoulders of his son Isaac. And Isaac goes up that mountain with the wood for the fire on his back. Oh, hear what I'm talking about. Abraham was entering into the redemptive purposes of God without even being aware of it. And then the angel stopped Abraham from taking the life of Isaac. And when Abraham stopped, the angel let him look and there in the thicket was a ram caught by its horns and he offered that as a sacrifice in Isaac's place and Abraham called the name of it Jehovah Jireh it became one of the covenant names of God and it meant the Lord will provide himself for a sacrifice when Abraham offered that boy there he was pointing to a future time when God would offer himself a sacrifice on Mount Moriah Hallelujah to the Lamb. Amen. God did offer himself as a sacrifice. For we read in 2 Corinthians 5.19 that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Abraham, thus, with all of these comparisons, modeled for us the redemptive purposes of God 2,000 years before they were unfolded and unveiled for a world to see. Here's my point you don't know when you continue to walk by faith what you might be doing in the spirit realm to model other things in the kingdom of God. The devil <laughs> approached God. And God said, have you considered my servant Job? Because the devil's made an accusation. The only reason people serve you is you've got a hedge put around them. And God, who knows how the story ends, is about to use this very example to release the greatest blessing that Job has ever had. And if only Job could have been privy to that conversation. He might have realized why his sons were taken and he lost his fortune and his health was broken. But you see, in the spirit dimension, there's often a warfare going on that occurs just before the release of your greatest breakthrough. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. And if you keep walking it out by faith, you're modeling the redemptive purposes of God, and God is using you to demonstrate His faithfulness. I'm talking to somebody here today. Oh, listen, you may be in the middle of your worst trial right now, but you know what's going on in, com- in conversation between God and the devil. The, the Lord is saying, devil, take a look at that child of God. You think you've got them pinned against the wall? You think you've got them painted in a corner? Their greatest breakthroughs about to come right now, and you're going to sit back and not be able to do a thing to stop it because my hand is on their life. I've got a purpose for them. Amen. Number six, Abraham offered Isaac expecting to return with him. Listen to Genesis 22.5. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship. Say these words with me and we will come back to you. Say it again. We. I want you to notice the poor old pronoun. We will come back to you. He's going up the mountain to sacrifice the boy. Most of us would conclude that he's going to a funeral. Not Abraham. Abraham's going to a resurrection service. There's a big deal of difference here in the two. Too many of us act like we're attending a funeral when you ought to act like you're attending a resurrection. Amen. Hello, Somebody. Listen to this. Hebrews 11 19, Abraham concluded that God was able to raise him, Isaac even from the dead from which he also received him in a figurative sense. This is extremely important for us to understand your approach to your challenges. If you continue to walk in faith that is you don't let go of the word that God has given you. You don't let go of the word that you have hid in your heart. You hold on to this. Even when circumstances belie what your heart is telling you and what God is saying. You approach things and other people oh you poor darling you lost your job and they act like they're attending your funeral economically and what you need to do is say praise God I'm not attending a funeral I'm attending a resurrection my finances are getting ready to come to life my marriage is getting ready to come to life my children are getting ready we are coming back together hear what Abraham said we will come back I need somebody to stand and say my marriage is coming back my family's coming back my finances are coming back can I hear somebody in the building somebody that has a need somebody that is here today somebody in this building you've, you think you've lost some stuff and you're mourning over it stop mourning and start rejoicing and saying I'm turning this funeral into a resurrection right now I'm not going to cry anymore I'm not going to weep anymore I'm going to rejoice because I know that God keeps his promises I'm talking to somebody that's lost a job and right now you're on the verge of the greatest breakthrough you've ever had in your life. I feel it in the Holy Spirit right now. Don't walk around with your lip dragging on your shoe top. Lift your hands and say today is resurrection. Amen. Give the Lord some praise somebody. Be seated for just a moment, and I've got to conclude. He went up that mountain acting like he was attending a resurrection and not a funeral. You don't know it, but this is one of the reasons that the Bible says, even in our giving, 2 Corinthians 9 and 7, so let each one of you give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful, say it, cheerful. The word is hilarious. How can I give hilariously when it looks like I'm attending a, futral, a funeral of my, my hard earned wages? You don't give like you're attending a funeral. Because if you do that's all it's going to be. You attend like you're attending a resurrection. You give. You come to church like you're attending a resurrection. You give your time. You give, you give your resources. You give your, your energy in the ministry you help other people but stop acting like you're doing them a big favor you're doing more of a favor to yourself than you are to them you're ensuring there's going to be resurrection hallelujah amen number seven Abraham expected to experience multiplication for offering Isaac as a sacrifice. Hebrews 11 and 12, this is what we read regarding Abraham. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sea in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Abraham knew when I give this boy, I'm giving one son, but I'm getting a nation back. Amen. I'm not only getting the boy back, I'm getting... multiplication back. Mm -hmm. Oh my God I wish I could teach believers this. I wish I could teach believers stop worrying over what the devil took away from you. I wish you could stop worrying over what the devil stole, the heartaches you've lived through, the pain you've lived through. Oh, dear God in heaven, I wish you would stop focusing so much time talking about, I lost this and I lost that. You did lose it because you didn't know how to look at it. You lost it when you ought to be saying, hallelujah, hallelujah. Resurrection is getting ready to happen. And devil, you think you stole from me? You didn't steal anything, Bubba. I'm still in the house of God. I'm in the kingdom of God. I'm a man of faith, and I caught you. And according to the scripture, I'm getting it back seven times over. I'm getting it back with interest. I'm getting it back. You've been passed over in your career, you've lost a job. Don't cry, rejoice. Give it to God and say, God, it's yours. I'm letting it go, but I'm expecting to come back down the mountain with my Isaac. Somebody say, I'm coming back with my Isaac. I'm coming back with my Isaac. And I'm coming back with interest. (laughs) Number eight, Abraham considered his sacrifice worship, not sacrifice. Too many of us talk about what we've lost, what we've given up, what we surrendered, what we've done for the kingdom. Don't look at it that way. Genesis 22:5, Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I are going to go, say it, yonder and what? He's being asked to give the greatest sacrifice of his life. His son. This is an amazing thing. In his entire life he will never give anything this Lord again. He will never be called upon to make a sacrifice like this. You get get to that place once in a while in your life where God asks for more than he's ever asked before. And when he asks, our response determines Rather or not, we receive multiplication because when God comes and asks it, do we look at it as sacrifice or do we say, okay, Lord, here's my worship. Can I tell you what I've learned about God? When we call it worship, he calls it sacrifice and he rewards us. But when we call it sacrifice, he doesn't receive it as worship. And the only reward we get is the badge and the honor of what it cost us. Don't let that happen. Listen to this. The word worship is the cognate of the old English words worth and ship. It's used in the same way they once called rulers your lordship or your worth-ship. The ship being the part of the word that is abbreviated from the word relationship. So therefore, lordship means my relationship with him. He, I call him lordship because my relationship is he's my lord, my ruler. Did you get upset the way they treated our president in China? Oh, I didn't like that. Y'all didn't hear about that? Y'all better read the news once in a while. They didn't even honor him when he landed there in China made him use some other stairs and all kinds I said fee, five, four, five I, I didn't like that because of the dignity and the lofty position of that office and the demands of honor that are placed for someone to occupy it but here, listen to what I'm, I'm telling you there needs to be some things that you honor in your life. And when you when you worship, you need to realize that it means my relationship with him is that he is worth what I am doing right now. Therefore, he this is worship. Worship. Amen. Say worthship. Would you do that? I want to ask you, is he worth your attendance in church? I want to ask you, is he worth your praise? I want to ask you, is he worth you being in the house of God? I want to know, is there somebody that's found out just how valuable he really is? And, oh, you say, why do you act like that when you go to church? Clap your hands. Or why, why are, you, are you so passionate about God? It's because It's worship. He's worth all of this. My relationship with Him has brought me to a point of understanding that I see His worth. He's worth more than anything else that I've ever come across in my life. He's worth more than houses and lands and silver and gold. Oh, somebody here say hallelujah. And when you count it as worship, God says, Look at the sacrifice. And since you can't outgive God, God says, Let me give you a harvest now. And the ninth thing that Abraham did is he knew his harvest would come sooner rather than later. His faith was is that Isaac would walk back down the mountain with him. He wasn't going home, and Isaac was going to show up 30 years from now. When I come back down the mountain, he told the young men, I will be with my son. I need somebody in this building to say my harvest is coming sooner rather than later. I need somebody to say my breakthrough is coming sooner rather than later. Next time you see me in church, Pastor, don't be surprised if my breakthrough has come. Next time you see me in the house of God, don't be surprised if I have a new job. Don't be surprised if we work to a different place in our marriage. Don't be surprised if I walk in under my own strength when somebody had to push me in in a wheelchair today because my harvest is getting ready to come and I'm looking for it sooner rather than later. I need some people that are on the verge of seeing a breakthrough to say sooner rather than later. If you've suffered depression, I want to speak a word over you. If you'll have faith, it won't take you 10 years of therapy. God can fix it this weekend. Amen. I want to tell somebody that you got a bad diagnosis, but it doesn't require weeks of destructive chemotherapy to heal cancer in your body. God may heal it all while you're in this house right now, in the middle of this place, worshiping God. I want to tell somebody that over the last 15 years, your marriage has gone through trauma and you think it's almost over, but by next Sunday, you could be on your second honeymoon because God. God can cause you to come back down the mountain with your marriage, with your promise, with your promise. We will come back to you.